You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Monday, June 22nd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. This past weekend was another head-spinning one with front-page-worthy stories popping up literally by the hour. And it was pretty hard to keep track. If you went about your day, maybe on Friday or Saturday, you ran some errands and you get a notification from your phone that, look, the SEC is calling on the state of Mississippi to change the state flag. Or maybe you go out, you go to happy hour, and you see that UCLA football players demand protection from injustices amid pandemic return. You look away from your phone, and then you get another headline. 23 Clemson football players test positive for COVID-19. Another one. UCLA football, this is a follow-up, holds Zoom meeting to clear air prior to return to campus. And you're like, man, this, this weekend has not been good. And then you see that LSU has quarantined 30 players amid a likely COVID-19 outbreak that has at least 20 players Per reports testing positive. And then you see that Kansas State suspends football workouts for 14 days after positive coronavirus tests. And they became the second school to put a stop to the voluntary workouts because of COVID-19. And the first one was Houston a week and a half ago. And you take all of that together and it's just a lot. It's, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to try to whittle down into a quick little recap of here's how the weekend went. And the implications of the COVID-19 stuff, they're pretty foreboding. And they're, this is clearly going to prove more logistically difficult than we had maybe imagined two weeks ago. And it's, it's crazy to think about two months ago where, where we said, what happens if a player tests positive? What are they going to do? And it's just clear now, like we're going to have situations where what happens if half the team tests positive or what happens if the entire position group tests positive? And I think we're getting we're getting a very clear and sobering picture of of what we're up against this season or, or to have it have a season. I think the takeaways from last Friday's episode on the College of All Daily with Brandon Marcello still stand four billion dollars are on the line. And the consequences of not having a football season would be disastrous for every athletic department in the nation. I don't care how much money you have right now. It won't be easy to do that. And perhaps we're going to have to stomach the fact that college athletes are going to be exposed at a high clip to COVID-19. And sure, you can say it's an illness or a disease, which many of them won't even show symptoms of if they do test positive. But there is some thought that we are playing with fire here. And there is some thought that you play the odds game and that over time, it's just a matter of time before this is something that is harmful to a player who has an underlying health condition or doesn't know he has one yet. Or of course, a coach or a staffer who are in the the age range in which COVID-19 is more dangerous. And the last week has been shaky. It's been another one bad headline after another, and it's not just college football, it's the NBA. It's Major League Baseball, it's NHL, it's golf. But there is, again, so much money on the line here. I think if colleges go through with their plans to have on-campus teaching this fall, then I think football happens for sure. And I saw that the Clemson president 
amidst their 23 positive COVID-19 tests, the Clemson president like released a, a letter to the university talking about a lot of talk about the social injustice and the racial, you know, the, the stuff from last week and the peaceful protesting, but also mentioned like we're still on track to do in-person teaching this fall. We're going to take every logistical uh, matter into our own hands that we can, but we're going to do it. And so again, I think if that still happens across the country, we will have college football. And even if courses go to online only, that doesn't seem like the death knell for football that it was perceived to be in April. And in fact, that situation could maybe provide college athletes the bubble that some think they need. Of course, the idea that college athletes will be on campus while normal students stay home with their parents to learn, that's fraught with issues. And some would argue it intersects the historic COVID-19 and racial injustice storylines of the year. The questions for that are, for COVID-19, is it safe to play? And for everything else is, is it the right thing to do to play? How does this look that we're in a bubble providing entertainment for people, especially if we're unpaid? NBA players are having that discussion. I'm sure you've seen that with Kyrie Irving. And UCLA players, the Bruin players, were the latest to exercise their newfound power with the Los Angeles Times uncovering a document late last week signed by 30 football players which asserted that players do not trust UCLA to act in their best interest, particularly in regard to their health, a realm where it says the school has, quote, permanently failed us, unquote. The players demanded in that document that a third-party health official be on hand for all football activities to see that protocols for COVID-19 prevention were being followed. They also demanded anonymous whistleblower protections. And they demanded that each player can make a decision about whether or not to come back to Westwood, the campus, without fear of losing his scholarship or other retaliation. This was shaping up to be a massive deal, something that personally I thought most every college team might try to do um, in, in this era. And according to The Athletic, that meeting was very productive and successful in soothing players' fears. And The Athletic director told the players that their documented issues were already being addressed. Um, they were already in the process of being addressed or they would be addressed. So it looks like we've sort of sidestepped that whole UCLA issue, but we'll keep an eye on it in the next few days. And to be honest, we could take a bite out of any of these storylines that I just ran down. And I and don't forget about the SEC putting some, some muscle into Mississippi to change its state flag, which has a Confederate flag on it. But in reviewing the last few weeks' episodes or the last week's episodes and the subject matter, two on COVID, one on Mike Gundy, another storyline that is not going away, another on Texas's players fighting to change a fight song with a racist past. You look at all that, and I kind of feel like delivering a football-focused episode. I think that's warranted. We'll have the rest of the week to track and to tackle any other hard news that comes up. But I think for now, we should talk about some football stuff that really didn't get much buzz last week amidst everything else that's happening. And that is that the Washington Huskies might have just gotten their replacement for Jacob Eason. And the usage of might, I think, could be a little bit conservative here. It really does sound like FCS grad transfer Kevin Thompson was a sneaky big quarterback get for a Husky program that's undergoing a metamorphosis and is suddenly 
not king of the Pac-12's north like it used to be, had four years of Jake Browning, steady play that they probably didn't appreciate as fans, go to Jacob Eason, did not win like they did, have a host of former blue chip quarterback quarterback recruits in their room, and they clearly might not like any of them because they just went and got a grad transfer in mid-June. Who's probably going to win the job? And so I'm bringing on 24-7 sports recruiting analyst Brandon Huffman, a Seattle resident who covered Thompson in high school many years ago and reported on Thompson's commitment last week. Brandon knows a ton about the Washington Huskies. I think it's going to be clear to you in a second. He's going to help us break down this story and deliver some sharp analysis on what it means for Washington going forward. And this is a future that's interesting. Again, a program that made the playoff in 2016 has really sort of been a national afterthought since then, despite being successful. Washington's future at quarterback is certainly up in the air, and this all might be a bridge to the long-term future for when five-star quarterback Sam Heward joins the fold next fall. But I think this is really interesting. I think any time that you are adding a likely trans or likely starting quarterback a few months before the season season over season opener against Michigan, I might add it's worthy of its own episode. So we're going to talk to Brandon Huffman after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Brandon Huffman, what's going on out there? Oh, you know, we are uh, still stuck in phase one of quarantine and looking out, seeing sunshine, but not very much activity because... I'm still grounded. Wow. West Coast does things a little bit differently than, than the rest really? of us. That's that's interesting. Phase one. It, it just means more out here, apparently. So I wanted to get you on the podcast I've been meaning to. And I'm also conscious about making sure we expand our footprint to cover the West Coast and Pac-12. And I saw that you reported on this FCS grad transfer, Kevin Thompson, uh, from, from Sacramento State to Washington. And I was thinking, okay. This is a possible episode idea, but I didn't want to just do an episode on, you know, a, a guy who's going to come in and be third string, but I reached out to you and what'd you tell me? Like Washington's bringing this guy in to win the job. Yeah. I mean, th- there is absolutely a chance that he will be the starting quarterback when Washington opens against Michigan week one. And a big part of that is, you know, he's got a lot of experience and, you know, forget the fact that the night I went to go watch him play in high school, was in 2013 when Mariano Rivera was making his last pitch at Yankee Stadium. I watched that in the pregame, and Mariano Rivera has already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's how long ago it was. Steve Sarkeesian was the head coach at Washington when this happened. So Kevin Thompson's gone kind of a long road, but what he does have is a lot of starting experience. And with Washington having a redshirt sophomore, redshirt freshman, and a true freshman quarterback – None of those guys have t- ever started a college football game, and only one has taken snaps in a game. Meanwhile, Kevin Thompson alone played against two power for, uh, uh, sorry, two FBS programs, including a Pac-12 school a year ago. So he brings the experience that Washington lacks 
in what could be looked at as a gap year before the number one quarterback in the country, Sam Hewitt, comes in. So he's not just coming in as a guy that, you know, is trying to just bet on himself. They're bringing him in with the intent to, hey, if you win the job, you win the job. And now we've got an experienced starter in a first-year head coach, a first-year offensive coordinator's first year in the program. Now they at least have some experience, especially after losing spring football. Yeah, I figured when I saw his stat line, 39 touchdowns last year, and he was really good against those two FBS teams. He was 32 for 50 with a touchdown and, and 263 yards in a loss to Arizona State. He was 22 for 41 with 233 yards and three touchdowns in a loss to Fresno State. And I just, I, 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 it just kind of feels like we're looking at Jacob Eason's replacement and nothing against anybody in Washington's quarterback room, Brandon. They've, I mean, you would know this better than anyone. I want you to talk about it. They've done a really good job of stacking blue chip prospects upon blue chip prospects, but we're at a situation now where you mentioned Jacob Sermon's the only one in that quarterback room to have thrown a, a, a live, a live ball in, in a college football game. Ethan Garbers is there. He was number four pro style quarterback in 2020. Dylan Morris, number four pro style quarterback in 2019. Sermon just mentioned him was number six pro style quarterback in 2018. They also had Colson Yankoff transferred to UCLA last summer, probably because it was clear that Jacob Eason was going to win this job. So I'm looking at a really crowded quarterback room with a lot of talent and not much experience at all. And I'm wondering, does Washington just not feel as good about these guys as we might've coming out of high school? You know, it's starting to really trend that way. And it's fascinating. If you look 17 months ago when Washington played in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State in what was Jake Browning's final game, when that game was over, they were giddy about their quarterback. You had Jacob Eason, who had just sat the season as a redshirt or as a transfer from Georgia. You had the two true freshmen red shirts in Colson Yankoff and in Jacob Sermon. You had Dylan Morris coming in. They already had a commitment from Sam Hewitt, who at the time was a sophomore in high school and had already committed to the Huskies. And it was almost an embarrassment of riches. Now you fast forward a few months later and you look at Eason's gone. Colson Yankoff left. Jacob Sermon had put his name in the portal last spring around the same time before he pulled his name out, ended up staying, becoming the backup to Jacob Eason. They had Jake Hayner at that time. He left. Now he's at Fresno State. So Mm -hmm. they went from kind of having a plethora of quarterbacks to now going to the point where they were willingly taking a FCS grad transfer. And, you know, immediately the, the, the first names that came out was like, oh, you know, this could be Vernon Adams again. Yeah, it absolutely could be a Vernon Adams type of situation when he left Eastern Washington, went to the University of Oregon, he was taken over from Marcus Mariota and he uncovered a lot, you know, he covered up a lot of warts that Oregon had after they lost Mariota. And then the next year they went the FCS grad transfer route again with Dakota Prukup. He started a couple of games before they turned it over to Justin Herbert, but they went four and eight and it cost Mark Helfrich his job. I'm not saying it's going to be that dire, but Vernon Adams was kind of an exception to the rule because we saw just across the state last year, another SCS quarterback, very successful quarterback, Gage Gabrud, who had been at Eastern Washington, had been a part of their team that made it to the FCS championship game. He left, went to Washington State, and then by the time the season started, Anthony Gordon was the starter. So Thompson's making a, a very risky move. He's going from a comfortable situation where he would have been you know, a four-year starter but Washington wouldn't be bringing him in, having a Jimmy Lake press release if they didn't think he's going to help this room. And without a spring practice for new offense coordinator John Donovan to work with the new quarterbacks, 
it's almost feeling like they're bringing him in because they just feel they need to have a confident, comfortable, experienced quarterback in, and they can't afford to, you know, maybe go the young, inexperienced quarterback route in Donovan and Jimmy Lake's first year as the the coaches at Washington. So, yeah, I think they're looking at this room going, maybe these guys aren't quite up to it. But this is where I think them losing spring football really hurt all of those quarterbacks that remained or that were coming in. They never got a chance. And so that's the thing with Thompson. He at least has experience that they know of. And so there could be an opportunity for him to win it. And I mean, again, I I don't think he's making this move without some confidence that he's going to be the starter when they play Michigan. And then the irony of all is week two, who does Washington play? Sacramento State. Well, that's really interesting that you mentioned the the lack of spring football for a, a crop of young quarterbacks and a new offensive coordinator, sort of almost not eliminating them, but but really hurting their chances to win the job. Because usually when you get a grad transfer in mid-June, you're thinking, all right, this guy's got an uphill battle, but they're all playing on the same field, right? And yeah, he's got three years of starting experience and uh, it's hard not to not to think he's going to win the job. You mentioned Vernon Adams. That's a super interesting comparison. And he did cover things up and it did not work as well the next year with Prukop. Of course, you get Justin Herbert out of that. So so maybe you know, Sam Heward's there, Justin Herbert. But do you think Washington does have things to cover up right now? I, th- those of us who, who don't watch every game of theirs or you know, who maybe don't live in the region, like when I think about Washington... Maybe I think about steadiness and consistency of of Jake Browning from a few years ago. I think of great defensive backs. I think of, I know they're trying to get wide receiver figured out. I know they've had some great tight ends. I know Salvin Ahmed's gone at running back. Like what's the, what's the state of the program right now as Jimmy Lake embarks on his first year? Well, it's basically the same it's been the last couple of years. This is a program that's going to win with its defense. And if the offense can just do enough, then it's got a chance to be successful. And in the previous years under Chris Peterson, they had some dynamic players on offense, whether it was John Ross, whether it was Miles Gaskin, who ran for a thousand yards all four years, he was a starter, whether it was the steady play of Jake Browning. But the reality was it was the players like Byron Murphy, Buda Baker, Vita Vey, you know, uh, even before that, Danny Shelton um, in, the, in the first year in Shaq Thompson. But just you look at where Washington really flourished under Chris Peterson, it was because their defense played so well that the offense just had to do enough. And the one year they make it to the playoff was the year that everything came together offensively. Jonathan Smith had an amazing game plan that entire year that put them in the playoff. Well, Jonathan Smith leaves the year after that, goes to Oregon State. Bush Hamden comes in with a lot of a lot of expectations and they go to the Rose Bowl in year one. But again, that was largely because of their defense. Then in year two under Bush Hamden, when they get Jacob Eason, probably the most talented, physically talented quarterback Washington had suit up in several years. The offense kind of went the wrong way. Now you look at this offense, they lose Eason, they lose Sylvan Ahmed, they lose Hunter Bryant, they lose their receivers in, in both. Aaron Fuller uh, and Andre Bacellia, they lose two or three offensive linemen that are key. So this offense only returns like two or three real key starters. So that's kind of the problem. Now, I don't think that there are the warts there that Oregon may have had in 2015, 2016, where the bottom fell out. And it took a couple of years. And like you said, Sam Heard could be there, Justin Herbert. And I think that's the hope and the expectation. Uh, although Sam Heard's rated much higher than Herbert was at the same stage. But I think there's young talent offensively 
at Washington, but that's what it is, young talent, and it's relatively inexperienced. So that's, again, where I think maybe bringing in a quarterback with a lot of experience. And, again, he's a seventh-year quarterback, so he's got plenty of experience. I think they're bringing him in with the hope that he can kind of help lead that young, inexperienced talent rather than a young, inexperienced quarterback leading young, inexperienced talent. And so I think when you have a first-year head coach and you got a first-year offensive coordinator that you need to have some continuity. And without that, maybe Washington felt that without having that opportunity for anybody to emerge in the spring, they needed to go the more experienced route with a grad transfer. This might be a more appropriate question for a team reporter. You cover recruiting, but obviously you've got a really good pulse on this program. I always like to ask, what do the fans think about this or that? What did the fans think resoundingly about the Jacob Eason era? And as it becomes likely that Washington is going to go transfer again as far as starting quarterback in 2020, what's the reaction to that? Because when you go four straight years of Jake Browning, it's probably a little bit weird to go new guy in 2019 and new guy in 2020, because in that you're probably going to lose several of these, these highly rated quarterback recruits who are now in your room. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the Jacob Eason era era was an incomplete and, you know, if anything, they were left wanting for more. And then I think you see, you know, how he falls in the draft. And I think that that kind of just mirrored what, the season production that he got, you know, there were games where he was on fire. He looked fantastic. Then there were games that, you know, you, you see why Jake Fromm probably sent him packing and had him head back home. Um, I think with coming off the Jake Browning area, I think it's going to take another few years, but there's going to be much more appreciation for what Jake Browning did for them as a starting quarterback. And, and I think this last year with Jacob Eason, who was far more physically gifted than Jake Browning, but then they had the, you know, up and down season. I think people now realize Jake Browning may not have been sexy. He may not have been flashy, but boy, was he consistent and got the job done. And I think that now Washington is kind of in that position where they don't need big, strong and flashy. They need consistent and steady like Jake Browning brought them. And I think if, you know, Kevin Thompson can be that, you know, consistent, steady guy, if that's what Dylan Morris or Ethan Garbers or, or Jacob Sermon is, they'll just take that. They, they, you know, they don't need the big sexy arm and the big flashy arm because what did it bring them? It brought them a seven win season and a losing record in the Pac-12, despite having a lot of talent and having what most people thought was the one missing piece Washington needed to compete for another playoff spot which was big time quarterback and they didn't get that from Easton. So I think Thompson might be the kind of guy with the quarterbacks that are in that room that is getting them back to what Jake Browning was just steady and consistent. And the guy that's going to be able to go out and win them games, get enough points to score where the UW defense is going to be able to stop teams. And I think Washington fans would just take that and accept that and be happy with it. We'll see if he gets him back on track. I think people are sleeping on, on Jimmy Lake's team and you know, maybe Maybe they can bust through and, and take back the Pac-12 North. Brandon Huffman, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Trey. Appreciate it. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by dropping us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It always helps us maintain visibility among the charts. Thanks again to Brandon Huffman and for producer Tony Levitt. I'm Trey Scott, and we will see you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.